Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors. And man, it's so good to be with you all. And again, as Emily said, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, we are thrilled that you chose to spend a little bit of your morning with us. We get it. It is not easy to step into a new space, a new environment. You don't know just how strange the folks will be or how received you be. So thank you for the courage it took to step into this place. And we trust that you will feel loved and welcome. And uh, more than that, we trust that you will leave this place most impressed with a person of Jesus Christ. Um, we are in the second week of a series um, that we are calling Unafraid. And uh, this series is really pressing into the question, what might it look like? If we lived life a little less afraid. What might it look like if we lived life a little less driven by fear? What would it look like? What kind of decisions might we make? What kind of risks might we take? What kind of relationships might we engage what kind of spaces might we dare to leave? What kind of ventures might we dare to go on if we lived life a little less afraid? This is such a great question, by the way, but it is a really difficult question to answer. And one of the reasons for that is that most of us don't feel afraid most of the time. Fear isn't something that we feel or experience acutely. And yet the reality is it is a constant presence, like an operating system powering our apps, driving our decisions more than we often realize. Oh, fear is a Factor. It's just not something we often feel or experience at the forefront. Matter of fact, there are a chunk of dudes in this room who hear that and their response is fear. I ain't afraid of nothing. <laughs> and I just came to annoy you dudes. And by the way, it doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to annoy you at some point in this talk. Just know that. But I just came to let dudes know, I ain't afraid of nothing. That is actually driven oftentimes by the fear of seeming afraid. It's driven by the fear of not wanting people to know that you're actually scared of something. I ain't afraid of nothing, which is actually proving the point that fear is a driving factor in our lives. Why else do you think it is the most commanded issue in the Bible because fear is a factor that constantly is at work in our stories but more than that as a pastor I am seeing fear not just as a factor but as the primary weapon that the devil is using to neutralize the church and to 
keep us from joy and impact. And it's functioning in invisible ways that I think we often don't notice or recognize. So we want to talk about that in this series. What are some of the ways we might miss fear as it works in our lives? And what are some of the ways we can face, fight, and combat fear? Because we want to know what would life look like if we lived a little less afraid. Um, This morning, uh, we are, are going to talk about one of the most dangerous forms of fear that I'm observing in our nation, one of the most dangerous forms of fear that I'm observing, sadly, in our churches. And it is the fear of each other. It is neutralizing. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Exodus chapter 1. Last week, Pastor Jeff did uh, such a great job summarizing some of the context uh, that surrounded this section of scripture, this season of history that we are going to spend some time looking I believe the devil is using the fear of each other as a weapon to neutralize us. And this section of scripture so powerfully brings to the surface, I think, some of the different phases of fear that he uses and moves us through that I think we often miss, don't pay much attention Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 8. So, amen. Historically, there's a character named Joseph. He's an Israelite man who's living as a slave in Egypt. Joseph ends up finding favor in the eyes of the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh. So much so that the Pharaoh invites Joseph's family and Joseph's people, the Israelites, eventually, to come and live in Egypt and to thrive there. And that has been the case. The Egyptians and the Israelites living peacefully together for centuries until we get to verse number 8. Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Here's what it says. Then uh, a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. I don't know who Joseph is. I don't know what kind of relationship he or his people had with my predecessor, the former king. (laughs) And frankly, I don't care. There's a new pharaoh in town and it's a new day, baby, is what he said. Verse number nine. Look, said the pharaoh, the king, said this to his people. The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. <laughs> that's, that's good. Oh, super scary, subtle, but very good. And by good, I mean dangerous. So this new pharaoh takes over. 
And one of the things he starts to say is, um, am I the only one who thinks that there are more of these Israelites in our country than there are of us? Am I the only one who seems to notice that there are more of them than there are of us? They are outnumbering us. This is what I call the parting phase of fear. The parting phase. It's the phase that draws attention to and grows the distinction between them and us. Because I'll have you know that the Egyptians and the Israelites coexisted. They lived in harmonious amongness for centuries. Up unto this point. Until a distinction is surfaced. It's accented. Them and us. By the way, I don't think Pharaoh said this once. I think he perpetuated this narrative. I think he harped on it for a season of time until his people started noticing. Hmm. You're right about them. Them, the people who are different from us, the Israelites, them. Yeah, you know what? I never noticed it before. Till, of course, you surface the distinction in this parting phrase to part us from them. I never noticed it before, but you're right. They're kind of everywhere. You can't go anywhere without hearing people speak that Hebrew language of theirs. Parting us from them the parting face i wonder if you've seen it surface in our culture i wonder if you've seen it surface in our churches i wonder if you've seen it surface in your own story you will recognize it because it's the thing that causes us to start using labels and categories To describe people who are different from us. I wonder if you've entered the parting phase at all. You know it because you're going to start using a bunch of categories. Labels. To speak of people who you distinguish yourself from. People who are different from you. You will start to notice and use labels to talk about them as opposed to us. Them. Liberals. Them. Conservatives. 
them critical racers, the CRTers, them vaxxers, them anti-maskers. And am I the only one who seems to be noticing that them are starting to outnumber us? Am I the only one who seems to be noticing that them, they are everywhere now. They are popping up everywhere. They're showing up at our stores, our stores. They're showing up in our schools, our schools. They're showing up at our family reunions. Them. And you notice, by the way, you notice, by the way, we all coexisted in harmonious amongness for years without ever having any tension or issue about what you wore on your face or what I injected into my body until someone started to draw attention to the distinction between us and them. And all of a sudden, you're like, you're right. I've noticed them. All over, they're everywhere. Verse 10. Come, says the Pharaoh. We must deal shrewdly. We must make moves now with them. Or they will become even more numerous. They're going to start showing up everywhere, even more places. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. <laughs> what? Well, that kind of escalated quickly. Wow. Which is exactly what happens in what I am calling the paranoia phase. The paranoia phase. This is the phase... Where they are no longer just them. Them are now a threat. Wow, that escalated. They are now not just different from us. They are dangerous. Y'all. Pharaoh is a mastermind. Don't think he ran the entire world by not being absolutely brilliant and shrewd by his own admission. So what he does is he creates and stirs up paranoia by painting a picture of a worst case scenario. In fact, what he does is he paints a picture of a terrible possibility and then immediately starts to treat it like an inevitable reality. That's a move right there. 
scary possibility. No, no, no. It's now an inevitable reality. <laughs> there are more of them than they are of us. The parting face. Let's stir some paranoia. What if? What if? If it's a possibility. What if, he says, war breaks out? What? Where did war come from? I'm just saying, what if? Go with me on this. What do you think they will do? Let me tell you exactly what they will do if war breaks out. Because I know all of them. And I know all of their motives. So let me tell you exactly what they will do. They will side with our enemy. They will betray us. They will destroy us. And then they will carry off all of our stuff. Who did you see that? If war breaks out, they will betray us. They will destroy us. If I can convince you that a scary possibility is a probability, then I can get you to fear it. If I can convince you that a scary possibility is a certainty, then I can get your fear to prevent it. If war breaks out, they will betray us. Is that what you want? Forget you. Is that what you want for your children? Is that what you want for this great nation of ours? No, I don't want that. I don't want destruction. I don't want betrayal. I don't want our stuff to be taken from us. I don't want that for my children. Well, neither do I. So I say we do something about it. What? The possibility that has now become a reality and we're treating it as such. This is brilliant. The paranoia phase. We've got to stop them from destroying us. Look how many there are. Their success is a threat. When you see them succeeding, just know they're getting stronger. And you know what that means. That means that they're going to betray us and they're going to take more of our stuff and leave. Pharaoh feeds fear with paranoia and the people lose their bearings. You notice there don't seem to be enough people asking some of the basic and logical questions. Questions such as, sorry Pharaoh, um, has someone declared war on us? No, 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 no. Well, has somebody threatened war? No, 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 but there have been wars in the past. Remember that one time you read that there was a war? It's interesting, there's never been one in your lifetime. Well, yeah, but there have been wars. Hmm. 
Now, the Israelites have lived among us for centuries, and they've never so much as threatened us. But now you're saying they're going to destroy and betray. Um, what? And speaking of, the Israelites have lived among us for centuries. They've lived here for centuries. This is home for them. What makes you think now they're scheming to leave? Well, you don't know what they're discussing when they're speaking in that Hebrew language of theirs. Are you willing to risk that they are not? Are you, are you willing to bet the lives of your children that they won't betray us? I don't, uh, my children, I don't know when you bring my children. I don't, that's all I'm saying. They will destroy us. I heard one person say one time that uh, he wanted to see the world. So that means they all may want to. Um, do I need to convince anyone that there is so much paranoia in our nation? I'm glad to. Do I need to convince anyone there is sadly so much paranoia in the church? Treating dreadful possibilities like inevitable certainties and then treating them, them. And by them, I mean people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't feel like you, and yea, verily, don't vote like you, them. Treating them like threats to our way of life who will destroy us. Mm. Oh, and just for good fun, throw in a pandemic. And now, now, the parting has become naturally greater. We don't have the opportunity to sit across from each other and exchange stories and hear each other's pain. We are no longer near each other because of the pandemic, right? So now the relational distance has grown even greater. So all of a sudden, we are spending inordinate amounts of time with people who look like us, who think like us, who feel like us, yea, verily vote like us. And more than that, we are spending time with our news providers who look like us and think like us and feel like us and vote like us and are paid to paint pictures of worst case scenarios. And all of a sudden, your difference spells danger. I mean, we've been talking about it and we've been watching the news and we've been seeing what's happening. And all of a sudden, you are not just them. You are a threat. I've heard what you are planning to do. I know what you are going to do. 
If you are not with us, then you are with them. And by them, I mean the threat. This is the paranoia phase. Where ifs become wills. Them become threats. Difference become dangerous. Ooh, boy. If he's wearing a mask, you know what he will do. You know. It's just a matter of time. Really? If she won't get vaccinated, you know what she's fixing to do. You brace yourself, you know what's coming. Paranoia phase, y'all. If they were slow to reopen, you know what they will do. I knew someone once who drove a pickup truck. And I'm just saying, you know what they will do if they drive pickup trucks. They'll do it. You know it. The paranoia face. Where all you have to do in the high school now is wear your mask below your nose. And we know who you are and what you are going to do. Whoa. It doesn't even take much. We don't even have to talk. I can tell. I can tell. I told you I'd upset everybody by the end of today. If, if they voted for Biden, you know they will move us towards socialism. If they voted for Trump, you know they will move us towards white nationalism. The paranoia, you know it, you know what they're doing. If they get into office, they will come after our babies in ways you have never seen in the history of this nation. Whoa, watch out for people, by the way, who talk, you've never, ever, always. What? They will, for sure. If they get into office, they will return all minorities to the days of slavery. Is that what you want for your kids? They will definitely take our guns and use them to destroy us. And run off with everything that's ours but they certainly will take your children's pronouns and before long you're gonna have to call your kids with symbols because paranoia phase where we don't just see each other as different we see each other as dangerous we don't just see each other as them oh no you're a threat if you're not on my side <laughs> You're on their side, and their side represents danger. And I'm telling you, if paranoia convinces us that someone is a threat, what do you think is coming 
next. What do you do with danger? What do you do with a threat? Verse 11. So they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over them, the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. This is what I, I call the preemptive phase. Preemptive phase. Neutralize the threat before it has the chance to do what you know it's going to do. Oh, attack them before they attack you. Defend against the inevitable threat. Oppress them or be oppressed because you know they're coming to oppress you. It only makes sense. How can you say you love your kids and not be willing to do anything and everything to protect them from this looming threat that is coming from them? Oh, we got to do something. That's exactly what Pharaoh says. And by the time we get to 11, it only makes sense. It is crazy to me that by verse 11, the majority of the Egyptians see no problem with shackling and abusing and oppressing an entire nation. It doesn't just seem right to them. It seems necessary. If the paranoia phase continues, it leads to these preemptive strikes. We turn on each other because now we're afraid of each other. And listen, you're going to hurt me or I'm going to hurt you. Um, the Israelites end up in brutal oppression. That's how God's people ended up in that situation. Because fear fueled by paranoia made them a threat that needed to be neutralized. If I can convince you they are a threat, you may even believe you are doing God's work by neutralizing or attacking them. Do I need to convince you our nation is in a preemptive phase? Do I need to convince you we've gone as a church so far as a preemptive phase? Where them are threats. And we become monsters with justification. We feel justified attacking each other. And it doesn't even seem crazy to us anymore. Maybe you're there right now. And one of the ways you know you're there is because there is a them. There is, there's a category of people 
who you view as a threat. And (laughs) not saying, just saying. You would not be too upset if they got gathered up, shackled, and locked away for a very long time. Not saying, just saying, I, I, I wouldn't be upset about that. If there is a category of people that you think are such a, this, if they got shipped off, Just say. Preferably if they got shot, I wouldn't shed a tear. Now, I wouldn't do it myself. I'm not that kind of monster. But if somebody else took care of them, I would feel safer. And honestly, it would feel like justice in light of what I know they will do. If you are using any language or harboring any feelings that celebrates the destruction or the elimination or the suffering of the hurt of a category of people, you are embracing the preemptive face um an entire nation of violent war hungry mean spirited people are subjugated by the egyptians Without resistance or incidents, ironically enough. I'm sorry. Why isn't there a war? Why isn't this whole nation waging war? I thought you said that's why they were. That no, this violent group is subjugated without incident. It is really sad to see the church embracing the preemptive phase. Man, I was out of town last week. And as I prepared to come back, um, I was experiencing just deep levels of anxiety. Like, but I don't want to go back, you know. And frankly, the people in this community would be like, we wouldn't mind, (laughs) you know, but... I was, I was out of town and was made aware of the fact that, boy, a war had broken out in our city over mask mandates all over again. And that it was getting ugly. So, wisdom said, let me see for myself. So I looked on social media. Just don't. Well, if you want to know whether or not we are in the preemptive phase and we found it 
entirely okay to attack each other and to say the most vitriolic and mean things and to wish ill on each other, then go to social media. But other than that, don't do it. Stay out of the comment section. Save yourself. Um, and I couldn't help but wonder how did we get to the place where we are okay to say such cruel things to each other? And how did we get to the place where we can say such cruel things to each other and get a resounding amen from the church? How did we get here? preemptive phase and in this particular issue is really interesting by the way that both sides were saying the exact same thing that is a threat and we want to protect our children that is a threat and we want to protect our children i found that really really interesting but in either case, in the, for the sake of our children, to protect them, we now feel justified, even in the name of Jesus, to say some of the most cruel things and to level attacks at each other, to preemptively strike each other. Because if I can be convinced that you are the enemy, if I can be convinced that you are a threat, you are dangerous, then boy, it feels justified to neutralize you. In the name of Jesus. Oppress or be oppressed. The the ex-president is a threat to democracy. Therefore, it is okay to like or to level comments that are him that just absolutely destroy his image in the public forum it is okay to say the most cruel things about him because he is a threat and you know where he's trying to move everything and i just want you to know as a follower of jesus christ it will never be okay to attack our former president in words, on social media, it will never be okay. And don't you dare ever involve Jesus in that particular path that you take. It will never be okay. I said I will upset everybody. It will never be okay for you to like or for you to fly a flag with an expletive next to our sitting president's name. It will never be okay. Ever. To swear and our president and then the church, amen to that. Ha ha ha. This is really funny. And we involve Jesus in it. I'm telling you, Jesus will never side with something like that. Never will he side with an attack like that. Even when he was insulted, he refused to insult. Somehow we've become okay with it. 
as a church because we're convinced it's a threat. It, it makes sense. In fact, sometimes we even bring in like, and it's a threat to our faith. And so therefore, we are going to become devils to defend our faith. What? When he was reviled, he reviled not. And man, while I'm upsetting people. And when they tried to pit Jesus against the government. Like, no. Now defy them. No. He went to the cross refusing to do it. But we've become, it's okay to attack them because of what they stand for and what they represent and all of, it will never be okay, y'all. It will never be okay. It will only reveal that Pharaoh has used fear to push us into this preemptive phase. Um, verse 12. We have to start moving towards the conclusion. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And if you think, by the way, we're just superimposing the conversation of fear on this passage. This makes it very clear. The more they oppressed the Israelites, the more they multiplied and spread. So what? The Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They became more afraid of them. And so what did they do? They continued to preemptively strike. So they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Um, I see here what I'm calling the pervasive phase. If it wasn't so tragic, this section of scripture would be a little humorous to me. Um, but it's tra- I'm telling you what fear will do. What fear will cause us to do to each other. And the more we fear, the more we attack. You thought that all of your vitriolic and your pomp and your, you know, lashing out was like makes you a revolutionary. It just makes you scared. But beyond that, in this pervasive phase, I, I think the more you attack and oppress and lash out, the more fear attacks and oppresses and lashes out at you. This was the cycle I noticed in this story, which is the part I found almost humorous. That fear starts to consume and surround. You would think you guys are now, you've got the upper hand. You've enslaved them. You're abusing them. You would think that would give you peace and you would feel safe because now they can't rebel and they can't attack you. And all of the stories that you've told about them, you've subjugated them. But yet fear just increased 
in them. I'm telling you, if you enter into this preemptive phase of attacking people because you feel justified because of who they are and what they're doing and, and what they might do, which slash will do, um, you think you're getting rid of the threat, but you're just opening the door for fear to become more pervasive in your life. It will just become worse and greater. The more they hurt the Israelites, the more the Israelites prospered. And their prosperity freaked them out. So they oppressed them more. And they prospered more. And they freaked out more. And by, as the story moved on, you notice the Egyptians were more and more and more and more and more and more afraid of people who weren't even actually doing anything except their labor. Fear is It's pervasive if you open the door for it. Oh, man. This is for me for sure. This is me. This describes me in so many ways. Like, if if I'm honest, like, man, where... um, for instance, as some of you know, I've, I've attempted to have conversations with people who, you know fly confederate flags to try and understand the stories and what's behind it and all of that but i've not done very well because confederate flags still scare me and i'm not saying like oh you know you know philosophically and biblically no i just mean scared like scared like it scares me um right and i find myself doing the thing that says if that all of my kids are going to be dragged off into slavery Right? So I find myself feeling fear. And so when I find myself feeling fear and saying, you are a threat, I know what you will do with that thing that you're flying around. Then I'll gather people who are like me, who look like me and think like me and will start to talk. And I'll start to say things that are critical and things that are like, we've got to stop it somehow. And we've got to rally against and rage against and and we've got to post some things and we've got to get this thing stopped. And the more worked up I get, and the more I become aggressive and attacking, it legitimately seems like the more they start to pop up everywhere. And I'm like, wait, all of a sudden, there's more of these flags. They're everywhere. And I honestly start to find myself looking at people's license plates to see if they have one on there. And I'm like, oh my God, there's another one. Okay, no, that's Puerto Rico. But I think it was. And then I just start freaking out. And I find myself actually becoming more consumed by fear, not less consumed by it. Um, man, the more you attack them on social media, the more I think you're going to start to see them everywhere. Just watch. They're closing in on us. All these nationalists, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm seeing them everywhere. Um, How can there be that many of these kinds of people in our country? It feels like the socialists, they're everywhere now. Like, have you always been a socialist? You know, how can this many people have possibly voted for him or him? Wait, did you vote for him? Did you vote? I feel like they're everywhere. They're in the grocery stores. They're in the schools. I feel like they're And you start to feel almost 
the pervasiveness of fear around you. And it doesn't get better. It gets worse and more consuming. And it steals your joy. And it neutralizes your impact. But I think, though, if I continue to harp and, and to attack and preemptively, it just opens the door to this pervasiveness. And whatever your news feed is, can almost guarantee at the top, every time you turn to it, it will be that thing. The lead story. It's happening again. It's coming. It's happening. Here comes another mandate. Uh Uh-oh, here comes another Karen. There she goes. And man, some of you live with this. And you can tell me later that it's true. People who are in the preemptive attacking and they just, they're coming to get us and they don't, and now they're in the pervasive phase and you live with them. And you notice everything leads to a conversation about this. They're worked up. It's everywhere. Every, every cartoon has a hidden message in it. And you tell me, like, do they seem more joyful to you? Are they enjoyable to be around? The pervasive face starts to consume us. And it's all we think about, obsessed with the enemy and tinfoil on our heads and things of that sort. The more they try to contain them, the more they prospered fear is crazy like that the more you engage it and the more you start to attack the more it grows okay we've we've got to do this it's it's uh let's let's make it a little more personal for a second because here's what i know the way you choose to cast this story will determine what you get out of it Here's here's what I mean. Um, For different ones of us, when we hear this story, Pharaoh represents somebody. We cast somebody in Pharaoh's spot. Someone who is out to strip us of our freedoms and subjugate us. Someone who is trying to make life an oppression for us. We've cast a pharaoh. For some of you, it's a president. The sitting president, the former president. For some of you, it's Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Eminem himself, Mitch McConnell. It's it's somebody. And then when you think about the Egyptians who, you know, did the, the work or you've, you've cast somebody. For some of you, it's the Democrats. For some of you, it's the Republicans. For some of you, it's certain family members or certain authority figures or certain governors. Or for some of you, it's certain educators, whatever. Um. 
When you cast the Israelites, well, that one's easy. The Israelites, it's us. Right? In this story, we are all going to cast ourselves as the victim. You're right. This is happening to me. You're right. They are mm, so true. <laughs> Every one of us, we're the Israelites somehow. You know? Yeah, it's us. Mm, the church, they, they're coming after us. It's us. You know? No, it's blacks. It's, no, it's us whites. They're, they're coming after us. Women. Men, it's us. How you cast the story determines how you apply it. So as we wrap, let me cast it for you. I came to announce in no uncertain terms. Pharaoh is the devil. Pharaoh is the devil and fear is his weapon. The devil is the enemy, not the person sitting next to you. The devil is the enemy, not the Democrat, not the Republican, not the anti-vaxxer, not the pro-masker. The devil is the enemy. He is on a quest to destroy us. And I also came to announce y'all. We can't keep letting him play us like punks. He is playing us so badly. And fear is the way that we are allowing it. He has us turning on each other and attacking each other and suspicious of each other. He is playing us. And one of the things I found so striking about this story was when Pharaoh subjugated the Israelites. The thing he did with their slave labor was to build store cities for Pharaoh. I'm like, what? I thought you would at least build guns or you would build a military force. You would do something to reinforce the nation for the war that's coming. No, he built store cities for his wealth. It was never about what he said it was about. That's the devil 101. He has us fighting over things he doesn't even care about. He hates Jesus. And he wants to do everything he can to destroy the work of Jesus. And the best way to do it is get his church to divide against each other, turn on each other, become afraid of each other, suspicious of each other, have them so occupied destroying each other that they stop being the only threat in this world that the devil's afraid of. The only thing the devil fears in this world is a united church because the gates of hell cannot stand up against this movement called the church. Once we come together, y'all, he knows that. If he can get me to be suspicious of you and you to be suspicious of me, we'll be so busy fighting about dumb stuff that he doesn't care about. And the church was neutralized over a piece of cloth. 
While the devil absolutely ravages souls and destroys the world. And he has us completely neutralized by the fear of each other. And I just came to say. Let's call a timeout. <laughs> let's rebel against this thing. We've got to refuse to be played like punks. It is time for us to wake up. He has us afraid, neutralized. I want to hear stories again of people coming to life in the person of Jesus. I want to hear stories of the devil cowering instead of using fear to neutralize. All right, a couple of, of quick things. We'll let you go. Um, Number one, I would encourage you um, to preemptively pray. To preemptively pray. If you find someone or a category of people who you are calling them and they feel like a threat to you and they feel dangerous to you, I cannot encourage you enough to preemptively pray. If nothing else, Jesus is the one who says, pray for your enemies. Even if you view them as such, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, just let's at least start there. And what prayer does is it entrusts myself like Jesus did to the one who judges justly. What prayer does is it tells God, I believe that my future is ultimately protected by your hand. I believe that the fate of where things are going are ultimately in your hand. And so as I pray, I am saying, God, you are the king. You are the one who ultimately calls the shots. Settle my heart and fill my heart for, with a strange love for that person who everything in me wants to. Mm. Only he can and he will if that's our first stop. If your stop is to post or to preemptively attack, we are going to continue in this perpetual cycle. And the devil's not going to let us out of it until we destroy each other. Time to jump ship. Uh, the other thing I would say is, man, Bridge gaps, bridge gaps, bridge gaps as much as possible. In fact, I wonder if the Spirit of God wouldn't stir in some of you, somebody who you've treated with suspicion or his other or different or she's there and, you know, distance and dangerous. I wonder if he wouldn't invite you to have a conversation, to sit across from each other and talk and listen to each other. I found this really interesting. Where there is parting, where there is a distance relationally, it becomes so easy for paranoia to fill the gaps. And usually the gaps are filled by people who look like me and think like me and feel like me. I'm like, no, bridge gaps and let people bridge gaps. Let them tell you themselves, their own stories in their own words. How awesome would it have been? If some of the Egyptians had close relationships with some of the Israelites and they just went to the Israelites and asked them, hey, y'all scheming? No. Okay, Pharaoh, we talked to them. They said they're not scheming, man. So, mm. But where there's no relationship, where we're not talking, I'm going to go with what the news says. And I'm going to go with what people like me say about them. Man, can we just start to have conversations? I cannot wait to do this, to, to have conversations with people that maybe I've been standing at a distance from and maybe I've been a little bit afraid of. And so, please know, if I ask to talk to you, that's not necessarily why. <laughs> But it might be. I'll tell you. I'll let you know. I think the church needs to start talking to each other again. Especially in those places where we feel like there is a...
distance created and continue to talk. And I say this because I may have a conversation with somebody who's like, yeah, white power. And I'm like, that's it. So all the white people, I'm sorry, honey, I know we're married, but you are now the enemy. No, you've got to keep talking to people. Otherwise, you talk to somebody who's like, yep, I voted for him, and I am pro-socialism. I hope we all go down this slippery slope. And you're like, I knew it. No, continue, perpetuate in those kinds of conversations. Don't be that idiot dude who's like, I talked to a woman one time, and she said, so therefore women are. Idiot. No. Keep talking to, to different people, helping to bridge the gap. And I would say, if you are sensing any of this in your own story, Repent of it. Repent. Anything that has had you turning against other people or attacking other people, it is time to repent of that. And let's come back to the person of Jesus, who though he was insulted, did not insult. Jesus, who became a threat to this powerful movement. And so they preemptively struck him on the cross. But again, he's all right. He got on up. And he's the one that we ultimately follow. We want to live like him and ask the question, man, if we had time, we would talk about the the, the little, you know, uh, midwives who Pharaoh says, kill all the boys. And they're like, no. We've got to take our cues from what God has said to us. And I pray that that will be what the church does. Like, no, we can't take our cues from fear. We can't take our cues from the media. We can't take our cues from our feelings. We've got to take our cues from Jesus and what he clearly says in his word and the example he laid before us. At the end of the service, you're going to see questions up on the screen. There'll be questions wherever you're watching. We would encourage you to continue this conversation honestly and openly. Um, We're going to have elders here up front and the prayer team up front. If you just want somebody to pray with you. Uh, man, I had some of our elders pray for me this morning, just realizing my own areas of struggle, my own areas of um, where I needed healing and where I needed to repent. Uh, but if you need prayer, whether it's for this or anything else, come on up. There'll be people up front. And please pray for our children's workers right now who are in overtime, thanks to me. And go as quickly as possible. Rescue them, thank them, tip them, um, hug them, rock fist them, whatever you feel comfortable Um, with. But come on, let's rebel against fear and walk with Jesus. If you want to know more about the church, please head on out to your right. 15 minutes, discover MP. We'll be glad to tell you a little bit more. Father, thank you. We commit ourselves to you. We ask you to forgive us of the ways that we've allowed fear to turn us against each other. Heal us, make us one, and return us to your mission in full force. In Jesus' name, amen.